conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. I'm your host, Deanna Chapman, and today I'm joined by Alex DiVincenzo from Broke Horror Fan, and we are talking all about the original Child's Play, which is from 1988, not the 2019 one, because that will probably be a whole different episode at some point, but we'll probably touch on it a little, Alex, because I know you've seen it. Yes, that's right, but I'm excited to talk about the original today. I think I think it holds up pretty well, um, and it's the series is still going, uh, which is kind of a weird phenomenon that it, it was remade, but at the same time, the original franchise is still going. Uh, there's a TV series supposed to be coming out next year. That is definitely crazy. And a lot of these franchises that started in the 70s and 80s have sort of taken on a life of their own. And some we love, some we didn't ask for, like Children of the Corn. <laughs> yeah, that, that one was kind of forced into a franchise. But uh, Child's Play is, is a unique one in that it is it has a sole creator at the basis of all of it. Don Mancini, he wrote every entry and has directed the last three. And I think it's that reason that it's such a solid franchise. It definitely has its ups and downs. Um, yeah. I know you've only seen the first one so far, but um, it, it dips a bit in the middle. But uh, I like, I love Child's Play 2. I think, I think Child's Play, the original is the best film in the franchise, but Child's Play 2 is the most fun, I would argue. Uh, but regardless, it's, it's one of the franchises that like, some people do like the sequels more because uh, there's one creator, but they're also all different in terms of tone. Like he gets comedic for a while, then they kind of did almost like a soft reboot, but it still stayed in the same continuity. I don't know. I mean, I'm excited for you to, you to kind of dive in beyond this. But yeah, it's it's a good franchise in that regard. I think only that I can think of out of like the major ones is Chad's Play and Phantasm that had one creator involved from the start. Okay. Yeah, I have seen the first Phantasm movie as well. I'm very good at like watching the first ones. And then (laughs) I kind of wait a bit to dive into everything else. Like Halloween, I've seen the first one and the latest one because you didn't really need everything in between necessarily to understand what happened between that first one and, you know, the one, what was it, 40 years later, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And that was that was smart on their part, too, because it, it did. It it erased those. So you didn't have to worry about the baggage. All you need to know was, you know, Michael Myers after Jamie Lee Curtis. And, and that's about it. Yeah. So I have now seen the first Halloween movie, the first Friday, the 13th, the first Nightmare on Elm Street. I've seen the first Phantasm, now the first Child's Play. <laughs> I'm getting there slowly but surely. And I know I've been sending you pictures like every time I buy a box set of something <laughs> and things <laughs> like that. And, you know, asking you questions about some that are hard to find because thankfully Child's Play, they had the seven disc box set that had come out before the latest movie had come out. So it's like the latest one is the only one I don't own, but it's on streaming more often than the others. So that works out nicely. But with this one, I went into it not really knowing what to expect. I had known what Chucky looked like for years and years and years now, because the character is so iconic. How could you not? Yeah, exactly. And and it's a great design, too. Yeah, absolutely. And you have Brad 
Dourif playing the voice of Chucky, and he also plays Charles Lee Ray, which we'll get into that in a moment. But your core cast really is Catherine Hicks, Chris Sarandon, and Alex Vincent. Yeah, um, all people who had like pretty pretty well-established careers, at least on a small scale at that point. Yeah. Um, and then I think all of them, well, except Alex Vincent, I should take that back, but the adult cast, um, you know, did pretty well both before and after the film. Yeah, for Alex Vincent, it seems like he's one of those child actors who is really only known for his role in this franchise, kind of the same way that, I forget his name, but the kid who played Danny Torrance in Kubrick's Shining. Yes, um, I forget. His name's also Danny uh, in real life. (laughs) Danny Lloyd. Yeah, there we go. I space on names (laughs) of especially children actors who don't go on to do a whole lot because it's like, you know them from this one thing, but sometimes their name escapes you. And that happens at times, too, because I don't know if it's something where these horror movies that they're in terrify them so much to the point that they don't want to do anything else or they just happened to fall into these roles and didn't really have an interest in acting later on. But I thought the cast for this was very solid. Each character plays their role really, really well. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I mean, to your point about child actors, I think um, a lot of them maybe maybe sort of age out of it like Alex Vincent was this cute little kid and you know he came back for Child's Play 2 a couple years later and then did very little after that and then he he later returned to the franchise in in some of the later sequels but uh yeah I feel like there's a tendency that they'll just age out um once they're once they're in like you know their preteen years and then maybe if they're into it pursue it again I think he he like produces music now, which is cool. But he's super active at conventions, um, and he'll bring a Chucky doll to pose with and stuff. A uh, very down to earth guy, uh, and I have to say he's uh, was a really good child actor. If I'm being frank here, I think he's better as a kid actor than he is as an adult in some of the later ones. Okay. Um, he he comes off. I mean, it's obviously you know some some of the problems that all child actors have have um, he has in Child's Play, but in general, I think it's it's one of the stronger. Um, child performances in a horror movie that that rests solely on the child's performance because he really is at the center right and i think he has that perfect tone of voice where he can be this annoying kid when he wants but otherwise he's kind of just like this adorable kid who talks to a doll and while he thinks the doll is talking back to him because it is as it turns out the story behind this i think works really well from a child's perspective and just having him as sort of the main role in the story because it wouldn't make sense for the doll to not have a child to interact with. Yeah, exactly. It's such a smart setup. Uh, It's obviously not like the first spooky doll movie um, or, or uh, content, I guess you'd call it because Twilight Zone did a talkie Tina episode. That's like not exactly the same, but, has similar notes, uh, albeit whatever, 20, 30 years earlier. But um, it certainly kind of broke new ground for how it approached it, I feel. And and a lot of imitators have come since, uh, certainly in its immediate wake, wake. And then like more recently, stuff like Annabelle. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't call it a ripoff or, or even derivative, but I feel like it's from the same mold. If we didn't have Child's Play, we may not have Annabelle. Absolutely. And there are some other movies in the horror genre where 
there are dolls or puppets or things like that involved. I mean, you have Puppet Master, which I haven't seen, but you also have things like Slappy from Goosebumps, who has made the transition from the Goosebumps books to the screen. And even, you know, there's a character that looks like Slappy in Toy Story 4 that gives it sort of this kind of horror element to it. So you definitely have this thing where dolls can be as creepy as you need them to be. And I think that plays off really, really well in this because when you just get the commercial of the doll and stuff, it doesn't necessarily look like a creepy doll, even when you see them all lined up in the store. But it's just that one act of bringing the doll to life that instantly makes it much creepier than it looks sitting on a shelf. Yeah, and and I think it's it's been stated multiple times that Chucky was was kind of inspired by the My Buddy doll and then to a lesser extent Cabbage Patch Kids, which were super popular at the time. And I do think there's something about like even as an adult, uh, I think it's the eyes that do it, at least for me. But dolls can be super creepy. Um, they're there's like a, you know, if they look too human, and again, I think it's the eyes, because uh, Chucky has super realistic looking eyes that, that they seem kind of like they follow you. And I can definitely see like why somebody would think, oh, this will be a good horror movie. Yeah. And the fact that they give you that opening too helps just give you a better idea of where the story is going to go. I wouldn't say it's necessarily predictable, but giving Chucky this revenge motive to fuel the plot really helps move things along because it's not like, oh, this boy just got this random doll that came to life. There's like a whole backstory as to why the doll came to life. Yeah, I I, I like that it has motivation that makes sense. I mean, at least in a suspension of disbelief movie kind of way. Um, I will say I always found the opening a little weird. Uh, I mean, I love it. Brad Dourif, like, totally choose the scenery. I love seeing him as, you know, a real human before he's just Chucky's voice for pretty much the rest of the series, Mm -hmm. except for like a random flashback. But it's weird because, I mean, the prologue shows us the audience that the doll is possessed. But then the first act of the movie after that basically sets it up as if as if that prologue didn't exist, as if maybe it is Andy doing these killings, because that's what the characters believe at first. Um, And I love that they toy with toy with the characters like that i almost wish the prologue maybe came in maybe that was a that was a you know a end of first act revelation that it's like oh no here's what happened um because then then you know as the viewer you'd be wondering well certainly not now that we all know chucky but in 1988 you'd be wondering okay is this kid doing it or is it really the doll yeah i love that the adults have this struggle because He's such an adorable little boy that you don't want to believe he would be the one doing this. At least, you know, the detective doesn't want to believe it. His mom definitely doesn't believe it. You know, there's no way he would have ever pushed, quote unquote, Aunt Maggie out the window. She's not really his aunt, but she's obviously taken care of him enough and been around him enough to where the mom was like, no, that's that's not what happened here. And because of the fact that he is so obsessed with the good guys, he has the pajamas that have the same, you know, pattern on the feet as the doll's shoes. Yeah, I love that. It's such a quick, clever little switch. And again, like that would have been a good setup if if we as the viewers didn't already know, you know, it was definitely the doll. Um, but I do, I love, I love how they set him up, as set Andy up as such a sweet kid. Um, that scene where he makes breakfast for his mom, it's his birthday, but he wakes her up by making her this, 
you know, terrible breakfast yeah. that she has to pretend is is good, but just, you know, makes a mess of it and, you know, burns the toast, puts like a whole stick of butter on it. But it's like adorable. <laughs> um, and I, it's it's this real sweet mother-son relationship that's, you know, obviously a super important dynamic to make the rest of the film work. Right. And even when he's disappointed, he doesn't throw temper tantrums. And I think it's because he's a kid who understands that his mom is doing everything she can because he is disappointed when he gets clothes instead of the doll and only gets the toolkit instead of the doll. But he's not like throwing, you know, this big hissy fit over it. Right. He's definitely not not a spoiled kid because that, that's such a good, again, a good setup because he gets this big do- big box that could definitely fit a good guy doll in it. And it's just filled with clothes. And you can you can see the disappointment in his face, um, but he doesn't, like you said, doesn't throw a temper tantrum about it or anything. It's obvious that the mom is, is struggling. She's a single mom um, and it's a hundred dollar doll, not something she can just get right away. Um, and again, I think that that helps set up the the empathy of, of their dynamic. It's like he understands what she means when she's talking to him as if he were an adult, because she's like, I didn't know about it in time to save up for it. So he has this concept of money already, so to speak, that I think a lot of kids wouldn't have. And it's not really clear if his dad is just out of the picture or if something happened to the dad it kind of felt more like something happened to the dad yeah you know i don't i've seen these this franchise a bunch of times but i can't recall if they ever dig deeper into the father um so i'm not sure i don't know that they ever mentioned one way or another how that happened or maybe there's like a weird novelization somewhere that mentions his father yeah and so it showed how strong their relationship was throughout from the breakfast making scene to his disappointment to the mom running out during her job to go buy one of the dolls from a homeless guy. And you kind of get this creepy feeling. You're like, is that a good idea? Probably not. (laughs) But at the same time, you're like, it's just a doll. And we all know, even I knew because I knew that Chucky came to life. I didn't know exactly how, but after that opening scene, you're like, okay, obviously this adorable boy is going to get this horrendous doll. (laughs) And one of the other things I love that they did with the story was giving us some of the POV from Chucky. Yes, I did. I did like that. They use that again, again, a lot in that first act where it could be Andy's point of view or Chucky's. Right. Um, and then that the this sort of leads into when the mom discovers the batteries uh, and then Chucky reveals himself to her. And now we see a lot more of Chucky as the doll moving around. And and the, even those that not only is that scene really good, but the Chucky effects hold up pretty well. They used a mix of like puppetry and animatronic doll and a little person in clothes. Yeah. Um, and and the. The way it's directed, the way it's edited together, it holds up pretty well, I think. Yeah, because sometimes you'll just see Chucky's hand reach for something, and you don't want that to look like a human hand. You want it to look like a doll hand, and you can tell it's kind of like plasticky, rubbery, and I think that worked well. And practical effects always go a long way, especially in horror, in my opinion especially in horror, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I would say Chucky is, is you know, probably one of the most 
not only most impressive, but most recognizable, you know, whether you call it an effect or prop or whatever things in a horror movie from the eighties. Um, and then Kevin Yeager, who created him, uh, married Catherine Hicks cause they met on set. So there's, there's a little love story there too. That's a fun little fact that I did not know. <laughs> uh, I don't believe it lasted, but they did get married. So things not lasting in Hollywood is not always surprising. <laughs> I take that back. Forget it. They did. They're, they're still married. So that's, that's great. That's even better. Yeah, that is certainly better than it not working out. But I think one of my favorite things about this was how they kind of kept subverting your expectations every time you think maybe they're going to get Chucky. And obviously, the series goes on, the franchise goes on, so you know there's something else that's going to happen. But they give you this sort of hopeful moment where, oh, they're going to get away from him. And then you find out, why he's getting his revenge and you get the focus taken off of the family for at least a little bit because Chucky's going to go kill his old partner who drove off on him while the cop who is Mike was chasing him at the beginning and then he goes after the guy who gave him I guess you can call it the spell that put him in the doll's body yeah, he's like a, a voodoo teacher, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Voodoo guru. That part was a little strange, that scene in particular, because they needed to explain it more because that guy wasn't in it previously. It's not like the opening where we knew someone drove off on him. Right. Yeah. It was almost like they, they just kind of wanted uh, another death scene and a little more pad the runtime because it is it's it's just under 90 minutes, which I think is like the perfect length for our movie like this. Uh, but maybe they needed another five or 10 minutes later in the stage of the script. Plus, they kind of needed to explain how he knew that sort of spell, enchantment, whatever you want to call it at the beginning, because as soon as he started speaking, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, nowadays, it would just be somebody like Googling voodoo spells. But yes, back then you needed a person to for exposition. Yeah. You also have the fact that Andy's just running around town and going through these really bad parts and nobody seems to notice him. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's like the eighties for you, but yeah, it's, it's like South side of Chicago, this little kid, um, just kind of, he takes a train, he wanders to like these, these derelict, you know, um, buildings where, where, you know, these criminals live um, and just no one bats an eye at them. Which is funny because, you know, people see those areas as horrible crime ridden areas, but then this kid can just walk by and it's like everybody does still mind their own business. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And we, we should know, I, I don't think uh, we, we call him a kid a lot, but just for reference, if you haven't seen the movie and you're listening to this, he's, he's only six years old. Um so he's like a really little kid. It's not like he's like a 12-year-old. Not that that would be much better, but at least a little less, you know, wouldn't draw as much attention. But again, no one no one bats an eye. Yeah, and again, horror movies, sort of just suspension of disbelief. <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, well, we'll just let this slide. You know, the way that Chucky comes back after his head has been shot off, after he's been shot in the heart, and blood actually <laughs> splatters on the wall, you're just like, yeah, of course he's going to come back. It's a horror movie. Yeah, I do. I do love that that last, you know, that finale where there's like 
three different instances where you think Chucky might be dead or like in another horror movie that would be the end, but he just keeps coming back. And that's that's like a pretty apropos, um, it's like symbolism for the rest of the franchise because, you know, they kill him at the end of every one and he keeps coming back. And they, they do get, you know, more and more clever with how they bring him back and expanding the mythology. So it's fun. I mean, that's that's why I enjoy it, particularly when it has, uh, again, it has the same creator throughout it's kind of fun seeing how how creative they get in bringing him back and also expanding the story. After I watched this, because I just watched it over the weekend, and yesterday I watched Halloween 2, it kind of reminded me, Halloween 2 reminded me of that final Chucky scene where he's like burned and still going and his head isn't there when Dr. Loomis shoots Michael Myers, like... I want to say at least a few more times in the hospital in Halloween 2. And he's laying on the ground and he's just yelling at the cop not to touch him. And the cop goes and bends over him. And it's just like, you people <laughs> do not listen. And they don't learn. it really felt like those two were kind of parallels almost. Yeah, I could see. I had never thought of that, but it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, Halloween 2 was super successful. So it's it's entirely possible, you know. Tom Holland, who directed Child's Play, might have might have picked up a little bit of that. Yeah, maybe, because Child's Play definitely came, I want to say, what, at least six or eight years after Halloween 2? Yeah, because Halloween 2 was 81 and Child's Play was 88, okay. so seven years. Right in the middle there. I, I knew I was close. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting to start watching all of these franchises and see like, okay, these people were clearly somewhat influenced by each other at some point. You know, I can't imagine something like Halloween existing if maybe Black Christmas hadn't existed first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I feel like like the first Child's Play could have been its own self-contained movie. Again, they I'm sure obviously the filmmakers were familiar with the genre and and the tropes. Um, Tom Holland has a long history of making horror movies. Right. But once you get to, to Not the, the Spider-Man Tom Holland, just in case anyone is wondering. <laughs> no, no. Uh, this Tom Holland also made Fright Night a few years earlier, which is another, you know, classic 80s horror. Um, but I feel like he it it has a lot of like the slasher conventions but it's not really until chad's play 2 that it becomes a straight up like slasher franchise like chucky is trying to be the new freddy krueger um for better or for worse again i like part two a lot um but it certainly has its ups and downs as you go from there we mentioned earlier that this one is definitely more of a revenge story and it takes away the unpredictability of chucky which I think is okay, though, because when you're watching something like Halloween, you never know who Michael Myers is going to choose to kill and who he isn't. Because, like I said, I just watched Halloween 2 after watching this, and he literally goes into a house, picks up a knife, and leaves the two people in the house alive. Right, right, yeah. Because they aren't teenagers, and he doesn't necessarily only kill teenagers, but that definitely seems to be more of his body count, at least in the first two movies that I've seen so far. And with Chucky, it's like he has a set purpose. And I don't know how that plays out in the later movies just yet. But with this one, they were like, okay, this is a revenge story. And like you said, it does have some slasher elements here and there. You know, he takes the scalpel and stabs people with it, especially the doctor where 
Andy is being observed. And I just like that this wasn't just like, hey, here's a killer for killer's sake. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's a smart a smart approach for the script. Um, I will say, you know, side note about Halloween too, that does, that introduces Laurie being Michael's sister. Um, so that, that gives a motivation that frankly, I think was unnecessary. I like that he was just this, this boogeyman. Like it was kind of, like you said, you know, he's just killing at random. Basically, you don't know whether you could be next. Um, and I think they smartly erased that for the new one. Uh, but as you said, yes, Chucky has a definitive purpose. Um, he wants revenge and then he needs to, you know, get Andy to become human again. And that, you know, they certainly carry that over for at least the next couple sequels. And then then they kind of expand the mythology in, in some some wacky ways, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any particular favorite moments from this movie? Um, I mentioned the breakfast scene. I know that doesn't even have Chucky in it, but like that's just such an endearing moment. Um, you know, really feel like something I could relate to when I watched it when I was younger, um, you know, as a kid. And now that I'm older, I don't have kids, but I have a young nephew. I feel like, you know, I can relate to it on a different level. Um, but as a checky moment, just that, that the entire, again, that entire finale where he keeps getting what seems like Chucky keeps getting stopped, but just never does, um, you know, the the fire, the explosions of his head, the, you know, it's, it's just it's things that, that a lesser movie would just end on one of those notes, but Child's Play has like three of them before the movie actually ends. I just, I, I love that. I really enjoyed the sequence where Maggie is watching Andy and, you know, she's telling him, go brush your teeth. And he listens and she's like, oh, okay. He's brushing his teeth. You know, he's being a good little boy. And then you, you kind of see Chucky running down the hallway in the background and she's reading a book and she puts it down and kind of looks and the chair moves and you have all of these different things that are happening and you don't really see Chucky or you kind of see his point of view and he's like peeking around a corner looking to see where people are and that whole first death I think really sets the tone for how we are going to see chucky not only getting around but as a killer yeah that, that that raises a good point because the like i said the by part two he becomes like the your your you know more typical slasher villain um and then they later he goes like full-on horror comedy which is a whole different direction but it's it's almost easy to forget if you've seen them all a million times that like the first movie like it's really creepy for what it is i mean they they have those i love those like like you said like the movement movement in the background um or the you know the just like ominous shots of chucky not moving but like you know that he can uh, i feel like it, it builds a good tension and uh, a fun side note because you mentioned children of the corn earlier um some of the shots where chucky is running around where they needed a, a little person in the suit is played by John Franklin, who was Isaac in the Children of the Corn movie. That is very interesting. He is definitely <laughs> someone who is perfectly creepy in horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> yes. To say the least. And that might be one of the few nice things I have to say about Children of the Corn. <laughs> but yeah, overall, I really had a lot of fun with this. And I think with these first movies... It feels like sometimes they don't know that there's going to be 
as many more as there end up being because I know, what was it, Friday the 13th never really intended to have sequels, but it did so well that the studio's like, hey, guys, we need more. Yeah, I mean, pretty much all of them. I think maybe by the time we got to Child's Play, because the 80s was so, so sequelized, they probably had it in the back of their mind that like, oh, maybe we could do more, at least the studio. Yeah, but um, they didn't make the movie end that way. Like they knew there was going to be another one. Right, right. But that's that's such a such like, I mean, it's a it's a broader topic, but like everything today is announced as, you know, like the start of a franchise or, you know, the relaunch of the cinematic universe, you know, some they always have like these big plans. And then like, if the movie's a dud, you never see anything. So you only get feels like you only get part of a story sometimes. Um, like you're you're watching a full movie, but it's really like the first act of a larger piece. And sometimes the rest doesn't come, which feels like like a weird, you know, a weird ripoff. But Back then, these movies were being produced um, and the market was in such a way that it was, you know, let's make one and see what happens. And then maybe if it does well, we can come back. Um, yeah, you mentioned Friday the 13th and even, even I mean, Halloween, um, Nightmare Elm Street, uh, I, all the creators have, have gone on record saying like, you know, we never thought we were going to make another one, didn't even want to make another one. But like that was once the first one was a success, that's what the studio wanted. That's what the audiences wanted. Yeah, it's just really amazing how these franchises have taken on lives of their own over the years because so many of them are still going. Yeah, I get it. it Child's Play was one of the last holdouts for a reboot. Like I said, the original the original continuity is still going on. Um, they they're like some TV series in development, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, I mean, they released like a, the most recent sequel was only in 2017. Um, and now the TV series supposed to be coming out next year, which will presumably follow the original timeline. Um, and then the reboot came out last year, which I, I think it's a weird situation that that MGM owns the name Child's Play, but not the Chucky like name and character or something weird like that. Because after a certain point, all the sequels are called Chucky, not Child's Play. Um so so that reboot like it's it's worth watching uh, if you particularly if you like this one i think it does some interesting things um it does what i prefer from a remake which is taking like the core concept and and using that to update the story to modern times with you know modern uh modern effects and a bigger budget and it does it does do some interesting things in that regard. Um, and also, it's very hard to imagine anyone but but Brad Dourif voicing Chucky. He has such a distinctive voice. And again, I mean, he's done seven movies now. It's hard to replace someone like that. Like they tried to do it with Robert Englund in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, where they recast him, and no one was going to do that justice. But I will say they have Mark Hamill doing the voice in in the new one in the remake, and he does really well. Like obviously he's has a huge catalog of voice acting experience, um, and I feel like not to mention you know the the fan cred of being you know Luke Skywalker. So I feel like he he was like a good choice that even if you don't like the movie, you have to admit like they couldn't really have found a better replacement for Chucky, even though they didn't need one. But they couldn't have found a better one than him. Yeah, especially his work as big villains like the Joker. Exactly. And he brings a lot of that, uh, you know, similar to what he brings to the voice of the Joker. There's a lot of that in Chucky. Yeah, he has done a lot of great voice work. And obviously, some people know him from 
well, a lot of people know him from Star Wars, but some people might not even realize how extensive his voice work filmography is. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I base this purely on speculation, but I'm pretty sure he's has way more voice work than he has had, you know, on screen work. Yeah, it's just Star Wars is so big. It's hard to not know him from that, basically. Yeah, exactly. What I also enjoyed about this were some of the set pieces. Like, I absolutely love that apartment building elevator. Yes, that's such a good, like, production design. I don't know if that was a a set, if that was part of a real, you know, a real apartment with an elevator. But, like, yes, that was a really cool design. And you mentioned, I I forgot to mention, um, but you had touched on... Uh, Maggie's death earlier I think that's a great set piece too that again holds up pretty well considering it's you know 80s visual effects but her she I mean spoiler alert obviously but she kind of plummets to her death getting pushed out a window Um, and it looks pretty good better than a lot of similar effects from that era yeah it really did hold up well and one thing I pointed out semi-recently, I think it was the crossover episode I did with Genre Vision on Stay Alive. Everyone in movies have massive apartments because, you know, this is a single mom with a son. They have two separate rooms. It seems like they have one, like, adjoining bathroom or something. There's two entrances to the bathroom. I think it's from the mom's room and the hallway, maybe, because they probably share the bathroom. But you have, so it's a two-bedroom, fairly good-sized living room, and a decent-sized kitchen dining room area. And I'm like, okay, she's selling jewelry at presumably like this big box store like a Macy's or something I know it's not a Macy's but it's a store like that and I was like this doesn't really add up but we're gonna let it slide because everyone in the movies have all these people have big apartments <laughs> that's a good point I never thought of that because she does make a point to say like you know I don't have the money to buy Chucky right now and she has to get this you know this cursed one little does she know uh but yeah it, it is a pretty nice place and it's not like because Andy later has to go to like the bad part, the seedy part of Chicago. So it's not like they live within that yeah. area. Um, he like takes the subway. Like... He takes, <laughs> you know. So it seems like she's, it's like not a bad area. That's probably, again, like like you implied, way above her means, way beyond her character's means. But uh, yeah, that's funny. I never thought of that. Yeah, and it wasn't like the apartment was super high-end granite countertops and all that stuff. But it's like... Any two-bedroom apartment, even in the late 80s, for a single mom would probably be tough to swing. Yeah, definitely. And even, like you said, it's it's a modest apartment. But I mean, you know, they, even Andy's room is like, it's not like this tiny little closet. It's like a good-sized bedroom for a kid. Yeah. And again, those are just things I happen to notice. I don't let them really sway my opinion of a movie but it's just fun to notice those things because it's like well this doesn't really add up but it also doesn't really take anything away from the movie right yeah so alex i know you like to turn the tables on me a little bit and ask me some questions every now and then when we do these episodes do you have anything for me before we start wrapping up (laughs) um okay i want to see so you've seen all these firsts in in most of the major franchises i'd say which one made you want to watch the next installment the most i guess you've watched halloween too so maybe that's your answer but 
uh, I guess, yeah, which one made you want to kind of continue and see where the story goes? I think you are right that it is Halloween because, as you know, I've bought pretty much all of the movies just within like the last week or two to fill in what I hadn't seen. I had seen the first one and the most recent hadn't seen anything in between, or if I have, it's only been bits and pieces. And at the moment, the only one I don't have is the second Rob Zombie Halloween. Yeah, that's a very polarizing one. So I guess I guess we'll see how you feel about his first one to see if you really need to hunt down the second one. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk. Yeah, yeah, but I think Michael Myers is compelling because he committed his crime so young. And he sort of held on to this anger the entire time he was locked away until he escaped. And then he went on his killing spree. So it was like only one crime caused him to go away. And he wasn't technically a serial killer until he escaped however many years later, 15 years later, I think it was. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting from a more psychological perspective. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a little more to chew on than a guy uses voodoo to possess a doll. I'll give you that. And then, like you said, Halloween two, the whole dynamic between him and Laurie being explored even more. It's just like I kind of want to see how that plays out in the other movies, even though I've seen the latest one. Yeah, well, the thing about not to get too sidetracked here, but the thing about the Halloween franchise in particular is there is like four different timelines within the franchise you could follow. Um, so I'm excited to hear uh, which one you prefer and and your thoughts on that when you get there. Um, but I guess in regards to Child's Play, where would you rank that among among the other? It's I feel like Chucky's generally, he's certainly like a top tier horror icon, but, but thought of, you know, after your Freddy and your Jason and your Michael and maybe your Leatherface. Um, but again, it's, it's, to me, maybe the first one isn't as strong as, say, the first Halloween or Elm Street. But again, it's it's a little more consistent uh, or at least interesting in the fact that uh, a singular voice kind of corralled them all and and, and wrote them all. Uh, so it wasn't just whoever was hired that year to make the new sequel. It's It's one person's vision kind of expanding and evolving over almost 30 years. Yeah, and I don't know if I've seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I've seen one of them, but I think it might have been like the reboot in the, what, was it in the mid-2000s roughly? Yeah, that was one of like the first big remakes, um, the the Jessica, Jessica Biel one. I think it was like 2003. That tracks because I think I watched it when I was in like eighth grade, which was probably not the best idea. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, uh, speaking of child's play and early horror memories, um, these are actually the first horror movies I saw. Okay. My, br- my brother, who to this day can't watch a full horror movie. I mean, he's in his 30s and has a wife and kid, but does not like horror whatsoever. whatsoever. Um, but had a friend over for a sleepover and rented Child's Play 3, which must have been the newest one at the time. This okay. was, would have been, you know, early, mid-90s. VHS days. Yes, yes, definitely rented on VHS from our local, I think it was a Hollywood video. And it was like a two-night rental, so they watched it. I'm sure my brother didn't sleep at all that night, but (laughs) we had it the next day, and I had a friend over, so we watched it. 
And I was like, I mean, the third one, you'll see when you get there, it's it's not scary at all, especially when you compare it to the first two, which again, aren't super scary, but for a kid, you can see it. But even, even by kids standards, it's not super scary, but it definitely has moments that creep me out as a kid having not seen, never seen a full horror movie before. Um, but it was like, which I guess later came back in life and I'm still kind of chasing that high of, of wanting to find something that will scare me and, and see where these stories go. But I was so intrigued by it. You know, I convinced my mom to let me rent the first two and those were the first horror movies I ever saw. And I didn't really evolve beyond that for several years. Then this, 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 I was in maybe middle school at the time. Um, and then maybe five years later, I started getting into all the other franchises, but I do, I do, um, vividly recall the only nightmare I've ever had where like I died or I would have, I woke up at the point where I would have died, um, was shortly after watching those movies. I had a dream where like Chucky was, you know, terrorizing me and he electrocuted me and then I woke up. Wow. That is a super interesting story. And now we all know where broke horror fans stemmed from, most likely. <laughs> yes, yes. As far as, you know, sort of, I guess we can call them the big four with Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Child's Play, and Friday the 13th go. This is probably number three for me. I would say Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, this, and then Friday the 13th as far as, you know, the first movies in the franchises go. And I'll be very interested to see how I feel about them as a whole once I somehow manage to get through them. Because I know, like, <laughs> I bought this box set a year ago, roughly. It was like Black Friday last year, and I'm just now getting around to watching the first <laughs> one, which, I mean, you know this, but for any of the listeners who might not know, I host a weekly Stephen King podcast that keeps me pretty busy. So it's not that I don't watch horror movies all year. It's just that those take up most of my time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say as far as the original movies go, my ranking would be as, the same as yours. Um, so I'm interested to hear once you do in 10 years time, make it through all 30 movies or whatever that make up all those franchises. <laughs> um, how, how, it, how, or if your ranking changes. Uh, but I will agree. Um, I think nothing tops Halloween for me. That's my favorite movie. Um, Elm Street is definitely like a top five movie for me. And then Child's Play is a little bit lower. And then Friday the 13th, I love the franchise as a whole. Mm -hmm. But the original, I don't think, is the strongest. I mean, we have a whole episode about that where people can hear me ramble about that one. Yeah. But uh, that's, that's one where I actually think several of the sequels are better than the original. I've heard that about that franchise in particular. And what I think puts Halloween over the top of the rest of these is just the fact that John Carpenter's score is so, so good. You can't not notice it while you're watching that movie. And sometimes I don't think it's necessarily a good thing when music is super noticeable, but this is noticeable in a way where it just makes you tense up while you're watching the movie. And I never really felt any moments like that in Child's Play with the score necessarily. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think I think John Carpenter's scores are kind of the secret weapon throughout his filmography, even his lesser movies like later in his career. Um, he still brought his his A game as a composer. Um, and even I mean, I will say the his score to the new Halloween, the Halloween 2018 uh, is probably my favorite score of his ever. Uh, it's it does a similar thing that the original did in that it, it, it bolsters everything. It makes it creepier, it makes it scarier, it makes, makes the 
makes the jump scares work better. Um, but it also works as a, like I can put that on and listen to it as just background music, um, which is I mean, granted, I do that with a lot of scores, but that one in particular or John Carpenter's work in particular, um, it doesn't necessarily have all these loud like stingers and stabs or like extended um, extended orchest- orchestral uh, elements. I, I love just the kind of the simplicity of the synthesizer and what it can do. Yeah, with Child's Play, I honestly don't even remember much of the score. You obviously have those moments that are sort of heightened when Chucky is basically getting ready to attack. But other than that, I don't really recall anything in particular standing out, which is kind of a bummer, but I still really, really enjoyed the movie. I gave it a four out of five, I want to say. Yeah, I would give it the same, I would say. Maybe maybe 4.5 if I'm feeling generous, but either way, um, I'm in the same ballpark. Yeah, it's a really, really solid start to the franchise. And like we've said, I haven't seen the rest, but I think the fact that this has a full story from start to finish and doesn't just leave you hanging, that helps, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, anything else, Alex? I was going to say, we're going to have to get you, um, you know, to see a couple more of the, the classics that spawn a franchise so then we can further our debates yeah <laughs> and keep this going we'll get you the original texas chainsaw we gotta get you have you seen hellraiser i have actually yes i have seen that one i've only seen the first one and i believe the original texas chainsaw massacre is on shutter still right now so i can definitely get that done soon i think you're right i think you're right that's a good that's a good one to put towards the top of your list maybe that's tonight's movie pick <laughs> Unless I continue watching Lost. It's a really bad thing that I started Lost in the middle of October. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what else would you want to watch in October? The 800 horror movies you're about to tell me to watch? <laughs> yes, yes. No, I'll let you catch up on your on your 10 box sets or whatever, and then <laughs> I'll come back to you with more recommendations. That's uh, perfect. But no, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always fun. Um, if you like my nerdy rants on horror movies, you can follow me at Broke Horror Fan on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and BrokeHorrorFan.com for my website. You'll find links to those in the show notes. I highly recommend checking out Alex's website. It is where I find out about a lot of deals that probably cost me a lot of money, but that's okay. Thanks, and I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Thank you again for coming on. You'll definitely be back we've already you know set up scream because that's another one a big franchise that's right. not nearly as long one. but i do need to watch it yes less commitment and again that one's a, another one i didn't bring it up earlier but uh that is one that kind of had a, a soul voice at least up until this new one um a soul voice behind them all so that is another interesting one yeah i think that's always a plus when you can have that happen and We've seen with some of the other franchises where things get a little crazy when you're trying to put together box sets and it's like, oh, but all different companies did these. So you got to get everyone to cooperate and all different people were involved. So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Chucky franchise plays out because of the fact, like you said, it's the same people. And I'm definitely looking forward to getting through more of these. Well, I look forward to hearing your reports. 
All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. You can sign up for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $2 a month, you get to pick a topic that myself and a guest will discuss on the show. For $5 a month, you can join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack group, where you can talk to myself and various guests who have been on the show. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.